Welcome to the 17th episode of the ABC Pod, the Adult Book Club with Taja and Russell. On today's episode, we are featuring The Ruthless Lady's Guide to Wizardry by C.M. Wagoner. Spoilers are between the 1 hour 4 minute and 1 hour 48 minute mark. We discuss how Wagoner's writing felt immersive, bringing us into this world she created, the characters in it, and how the use of language elevated the book, as well as some of the twists and turns we thought were going to happen that didn't necessarily. We have our usual segments and our get-to-know-us moment about traditions. So with that, let's hear it. What? Well, Taja and Russell, they both love reading books. Taja and Russell, they both love reading books. Well, what do you do when you share such love? Well, you start a club, you start a club, an adult book club, an adult book club, and a podcast. Welcome to episode 17 of the ABC Pod, the Adult Book Club with Taja and Russell. I am Russell, and she is Taja. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. It is our first episode of 2022. Still Ooh. not used to saying that. I know. Um, and on today's episode, we are focusing on The Ruthless Lady's Guide to Wizardry by C.M. Wagoner. So we are going to get into that a little fantasy romance, necromancy tale. Uh, but before we do that, it has been two weeks. We have successfully survived the holidays. Taja, what has it been like for you? Well, um, had the in-laws over for Christmas and that was, that was fun. I mean, obviously with like Omicron slitting around so easily, we didn't really do much, which was great. I mean, that's kind of our speed anyway. We had a nice Christmas dinner and we went out for a little, like, I guess walk in the park sounds pretty lame, but there's this park in a town kind of nearby. They dress up all the trees with lights and it's a cute oh, little nice. thing. I mean, yeah. yeah, it was cute. So we, we did that and we watched some, some movies. We played some games, ate some food, opened some presents and that was fun and found out that my, uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law have COVID. Hopefully they'll be fine. Yep, get well soon. Get vaccinated. They are unvaccinated. So like get get your shots, everybody. Your shots. <laughs> That's the like theme they should use. Shot, shot. Yeah. It's just that, yeah. I know. <laughs> I can see you. Um so let's see. So this is something that I thought we should discuss because it's like Christmas time. Was there a favorite gift that you received or whatnot? Mine, I will share with you as those podcasting microphone that my in-laws gave me for my for my request. This really fancy sweatshirt. I noticed that. Gave me. It has a hood <laughs> and it's great. And also new merch. Got mine on too. I figured you would. Yeah. So my sneaky, sneaky wife, Amanda, uh, behind my back, decided to design a logo for the show with uh, the help of our friend Dan and input from Taja. So everybody was in the know but me. 
Uh, mm-hmm. But that was the last Christmas present I opened. We got uh, Taj and I each have a shirt. I think we got some shirts for your parents too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then some stickers as well were made up. So we do have a, a new logo, which you can see, obviously, if you're listening to the show, you had to click on it. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> it is something way better than what I created in Microsoft Word uh, last May. So Oh, that was in Word? That is well done then, because Word is the worst. I actually, I prefer, I love Word. I'm a Word paint guy. I'm just old school. Yeah, no, it's Ooh. terrible. Microsoft Word can suck my nut. Okay. Well, you know, some of us never learned Photoshop, so here we are. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that was obviously my best gift because uh, that was super cool. And obviously it makes me feel like this is a little bit more serious. Like we, we again, we're legit it's, now. It's not something that we made in word. It's something somebody made for us. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was really funny too, because she had texted me on the DL about it earlier and I was like giving her my feedback. And then she was like, I'm really like, you gotta be, she started out with like, how, how well can you keep this secret? And I was like, well, I can keep it well. <laughs> I will keep it. And then when we were discussing post podcast last time about new merch, uh, she was texting me. It was like, easy rod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She told me about that too. Like, you hadn't said anything. And then you start talking about it. I wanted to kill you. I was like, that's fair. Yeah. She had said that you tend to neutralize her Christmas gifts, which was probably like the best terminology I could ever come up with or like that I've ever heard for something like that, because that is, seems like your speed and my speed, because I know I've done that too. So well, given that we're the same person, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I don't go shopping much. So like back when you used to go to a retail store. When I do. But so I would go to the store to look for stuff for her and it'd be like the first time all year I look for stuff for me. So like one year specifically, I bought myself a very nice like peacoat winter coat and she had already bought me one. So I like went from none to two really quickly. Oh no. (laughs) She was not happy about that. And there have been other instances too where yeah, it seems like an ongoing you. problem. Yeah, she's like, do you want to keep what you bought or what I bought for you? And it's, <laughs> that's such a hairy question. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, so other than that, let's see, what's fresh and new here? Read some good books over the last two weeks. I have a new owl friend. Hopefully, they will stay around. I was working from home on Wednesday per usual. And in the morning before Barry left for work, he looked out the window in our backyard and there was an owl just like chilling, a barn owl chilling in one of the trees. And they stayed there all day. Didn't move. I took the dog out for a walk in the backwoods and it was really cool. He was like, they, I don't, I don't know what it is. Anyway, they like watched the dog go into the woods. They watched me and they didn't move. I was like worried that I would distract them and have them fly off, but they didn't, they stuck around. And I'm hopeful that that means Barry said that like barred owls typically try to find a mate this time of year. So fingers crossed everybody that we have an owl friend because super pretty. And on my own Instagram, there's a picture of my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We also have an owl friend that it was not quite as close as you got to it. It was sitting out uh, on the that we have the telephone pole in the driveway way down. Yeah. So Amanda took out her nice camera with her picture of it. So I was like, Oh, do you have that? And she's like, I haven't done anything with it, but I will post a picture of our owl friend and then maybe capture them kindly and bring them to you. And maybe our owls will be mates. 
that probably won't happen, folks. Probably not. I'm also still waiting for a bat to take up residence in the bat box that we put up like three years ago. And maybe it wasn't that long. And what is time post COVID? Like, I don't know. That's what, true. I don't know when I put that up. Anyway, it was like, a, I think, I think that bat box was a Christmas gift from Barry a few years ago where I had to like build it myself. And I was so excited because I love bats. I love to have them in my space because then they eat all the buggos and nobody yeah. wants those. In any case, still no go on that. So if I can have one flying thing, that would be great. One nice. of those. I mean, I'll take both of them, but I'll, one is fine. Not asking for much here, folks. No. <laughs> and yeah, uh, I think that, that's pretty much it for me. Nice. Glad, glad to hear uh, you survived the holidays. It's uh, always fun when the in-laws come for a few days. I got to spend a few hours with mine and that was plenty. Uh, <laughs> we just did some gift exchange on New Year's Eve, and, or sorry, Christmas Eve. And then for Christmas, we just did Christmas alone together, uh, which was nice. We exchanged our gifts and had made our own dinner. It was nice. So uh, the big thing that happened between that and New Year's Eve, we had a couple friends come up with their girlfriends. We're all boosted and we did some testing. And uh, so they came up and spent two nights here and we did... Yeah. Christmas the first night. Uh, so it was our friends Sully and Soonish and their girlfriends. And Sully really wanted to celebrate Christmas. So he had bought me and Soonish each a gift. So we opened those and little Christmas. Oh. And then the second night, he really wanted to celebrate New Year's Eve, even though it was December 28th or something like that. <laughs> so um, midnight. we did, well, we had a bottle of champagne. And then at midnight, we opened the champagne and I dropped a ball from the balcony of my son. Amazing. Yeah. So he went around telling everybody it was already 2022. Uh, we had five <laughs> and some things. So it was, uh, it was a good night. So that's awesome. Aside from that, really not much going on uh, with Amanda home. It really screwed up my schedule because she's a teacher. So like going yeah, from, that huge chunk of time off. Yeah. Being here by myself to having her around. I was like, man, dude, like, should I look busy? What should I be doing here? So <laughs> <laughs> that, that threw me off a little bit, but it's always nice, obviously, being able to spend time with the person you chose to spend your life with. I guess I'm supposed to say that here. So, oh, no, 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 I will say on New Year's, on actual New Year's Eve, I tried to go to bed. We're already in bed reading. At, I tried to, um, my eyes yeah, I texted you and no, I at 11.40, I tried to go to sleep, like roll over and go to sleep. And Amanda was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to sleep. She's like, it's 20 minutes. I'm like, fine. So like I played game on my phone until midnight. And I was like, happy new year. And I gave her a kiss and then I rolled over and went to bed. So yeah, I think <laughs> you texted so me 12.25 and I was not awake. Barry and I actually went to bed at 1 a.m. on the 1st. So Barry's younger brother, his birthday is January 1st. So like I feel like we typically, while we're not generally like late night owl type people, it's always nice to stay up at least until midnight so you can text Justin and go to bed. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, for New Year's, we got some some shrimp from Costco. I got myself a bottle of sparkling wine, not champagne, and um, got Barry a bottle of sparkling cider because he doesn't really drink. And we just had like a lovely evening. That's it was really fun. <laughs> it was really adorable. And then we like ended up, I think we were probably on TikTok from like midnight to midnight 30 and then going to bed. Yeah, I will say the last time we were all together, which was two years ago now for mm. uh, New Year's Eve, it was super cool. Yeah. We celebrated the ball drop in each time zone. Uh, oh, yeah. Like staying awake for it. So I uh, look forward to getting everyone back together so we can do that again sometime. 
Until then, we shall live vicariously through each other's Twitter and Instagram, which speaking of which... Oh, nice segue. Thank you. I've been working on them. If you're not following us, you should be. We are on both those platforms at Adult Book Club 21. Uh, That's Adult Book Club, the number 21. Uh, All one word, all crunched together there. You can see some stuff that we've been reading, some clips from the show, some other just random stuff. I like to put some posts up when I'm editing because it's just... Fun for me, I guess. Breaks up, fun. but not like editing out ums and likes. Uh, so, <laughs> of which there are many. Of which there are many. So follow us there and let us know that you're listening so we can give you a shout out. Speaking of which, so we run this podcast through a Spotify, you know, thing, and it gives you a breakdown of where people listen to your show. And it's super cool. And like, you can break it down region by region. And this episode shout out i hope you listen long enough to get here goes to the fine people of germany so a couple like a month ago i gave a shout out to australia because they were our second highest country behind the u.s and germany is just charging forward right now so i don't know if it's our beautiful voices i don't know if they're just getting into books and getting crazy with it or if it's just like two people in germany that happens to be more than everywhere else in the world but germany we appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate you checking out the book club and we hope that you get to episode 17 where we say thank you. So thank you for listening. We hope you continue to. Uh, I feel like we should have done some research and figured out how to say thank you in German. Dankeschön. Oh, I'm an idiot. Yes, that is something even us stupid Americans are taught at an early age. Well, you know, I took Spanish. There you go. Good save. <laughs> not a good save. You're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> oh, come on. No, come on. Um, I also it's took fine. Spanish. It's no fine. Worries. No <laughs> worries. But uh, yeah, so thank you for uh, for following along with us. We appreciate it. And we appreciate all of you that are still listening. So yes. on that, we are now moving to The Ruthless Lady's Guide to Wizardry by C.M. Wagner. This is her second novel. It was released almost exactly a year ago today, which I found super interesting. So I put it in here. It was released January 12th, 2021. So maybe by the time you're listening, it is the one year anniversary. Crazy how time works. It is her second novel in as many years after her debut novel, which was called Unnatural Magic, received heavy amounts of praise and acclaim. Uh, She describes herself on her website and everywhere else I've seen it as a humble author for all your wizard needs which we definitely saw some wizarding in this book. So with that, Taja, would you like to read the back for us? I would love to. All right. Delaria Wells, petty con artist, occasional thief, and partly educated fire witch is behind on her rent in the city of Leescourt again. Then she sees the wanted sign seeking female persons of martial or magical ability to guard a lady of some importance prior to the celebration of her marriage. Deli fast talks her way into the job and joins a team of highly peculiar women tasked with protecting their wealthy charge from unknown assassins. Deli quickly sets her sights on one of her companions, the confident and well-bred Win Sinilum. The job looks like nothing but romance and easy money until things take a deadly and undead turn. With the help of a bird-loving necromancer, a shape-shifting schoolgirl, and an ill-tempered, reanimated mouse named Buttons, Deli and Wynn are determined to get the best of an adversary who wields a twisted magic and has friends in the highest of places. Nice. So that was one thing that I will say. There was a lot of words that could trip you up throughout this book. 
Yeah, because um, she like makes stuff up. <laughs> yeah, it, is, it is in our questions and a few here, but she definitely was not afraid to just make up a word. And, fit. and no. we kind of talked about it last episode with psycho historians where you just throw two words together and make it a thing. She threw like two words and a couple extra vowels together <laughs> to mm -hmm. make them. So to get going, Delaria Wells, a down and out behind on her rent fire, which as our protagonist, what did you think of her character? And I think it was interesting with her introduction or our introduction to her, it's her trying to find her mom. And we deal with that quick, her trying to track her down. And we kind of get a look behind the character as well there, just with how her relationship with her mom is. So jumping right into her and everything that involves her, what did you think of, of that character as we got to know her? I thought she was pretty interesting. She was very resourceful. I think that, like you said, sort of the behind the scenes, expounding on her history with her mom or that relationship um, and kind of understanding how she, her upbringing was not necessarily one of normalcy or any kind of regular food, shelter, love, any of those kind of necessary things. I feel like she, was pretty impressive in terms of her abilities to get, to continue on, to get what she needed. I mean, those things, food, shelter, like she seemed more responsible than her mother, which I guess, given the fact that her mother's essentially a drug addict, makes sense that she is <laughs> doing better then. I think that it was interesting to me that she even had the inclination to kind of protect or look after her mom at all because it seems like her mom didn't really do a whole lot for her growing up or even in her adulthood or anything but it kind of it I don't know it endeared me to her somewhat I guess her it was interesting getting the background of like her fire witchery and finding out I think as we do a little bit later that she did actually have some some education, some schooling, which wasn't immediately apparent when we first met her. That was something we learned a little later and kind of was shocking to me that that wasn't something that she relied on more, if that makes sense. You know, she didn't really, it didn't come up ever. Yeah, it's not, it seemed like it'd be something to brag about, especially yeah. talks about it was a program that brought in a lot of like the underprivileged kids of the city to the school. And I believe the way it was described, she was like the last one standing. Yes. So you think that would be something obviously in her day to day while dealing with other people in her level class level, it's not something you're going to brag Doesn't about, but up. you would think that when applying for the job to protect the Mrs. Wex in there, you'd bring that it up would be something she would talk about. Yeah. But maybe yeah. because the other school girls were there, she, you know, she still felt inferior to them maybe. Well, and I think that that was something that, kind of became apparent from a little bit from her interactions with other people and her kind of inner workings that you got to see as the reader that she did lack a little bit of self-confidence whereas a lot of the, her actions kind of made you feel like she was not as self-conscious or had a lot of self-assurance but then her internal monologue <laughs> And probably, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of reasons like her upbringing, certainly being one. And especially when you put her in the same room as all these like high class ladies, of course, you're going to feel a little down about yourself. But I think she didn't give herself enough credit. And I think that that's a statement that holds true for the whole whole book. Yeah, I agree with that. And it was interesting. We talk about how books are written, how important that is. Like if you're not inside of her head, you get a completely different picture of Delaria, Delaria Wells because she just seems 
so confident and stubborn and kind of almost like pigheaded in a way uh, where she's like knows what she wants this is what she's going to do she's going to like just do it and take care of her blah 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 but then when you hear the in internal monologue where she second guesses everything or regrets things or thinks back on it it's like i don't know if what i'm doing is right why are these people following me i'm not a leader all these different things right. you definitely need that to get the full grasp of her to really understand her one thing especially with her relationship with her mom which you know she's a only child at least that we know of and doesn't know who her dad is so that is like her only kind of grasp to family and to I, uh, as bad of a foundation block as it is, that is her foundation kind of to where she mm -hmm. is, is her mom. And later on, she talks about how her mom was super young when she had her and basically still a child as well at the time. I think she was like 15, 16. So that made it interesting finding that out later, kind of putting the whole perspective of their relationship you know, because her mom was still a child and basically didn't have the answers. And I think Delaria looked at her hoping for answers and her mom was basically like, I'm a child too. Like, I don't know. You know? And I think that that was an interesting moment kind of when she sort of the light bulb flicked on for her about that. You know, her mom had her super young and she kind of was reflecting, you know, if that had happened to her or whatever, you know, she was putting herself in her mom's shoes, I think more than she had ever considered doing previously, because I think she was probably, even though, like you said, that was her, her one family member. So like, it was a pretty important person to her, but also somebody that she never really, she probably had some resentment, you know, yeah. in terms of the life that she had to lead because her mom was only a child when she had her, like, things that she probably didn't recognize, you know, the cloud of, of childhood, your own self is, is coming away. Like knowing adults as an adult is very different than knowing adults as a child. Yeah. I mean, it's very similar to realizing when you realize teachers don't live in the school. Yes. Yeah. Like adults Even the have grocery their own like, what? Yeah. And we, we put our parents and adults on such a pedestal when we're younger because mm -hmm. we think they know everything. And then you get mm -hmm. there and you're like, holy shit, I don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. And I liked, I liked that moment. And I think that that was something that wasn't not that it didn't need to be in there but it was an interesting aspect from a character perspective to have in there because that was something that it was it was the reader kind of maybe coming to that revelation at the same time that Delhi was yeah which um, I appreciated yeah so sorry for a minor spoiler there I will say the reason I put the question the way I did was as I was thinking about this and creating the rundown with what happens later on with the investigation that she leads Delhi is basically our private investigator, which we've talked about so oh often. My God. You get down and out, uh, you know, no money, down on their mm -hmm. luck, person to be your private investigator, and then they endear themselves to you. So, uh, as I was, I didn't think of that when I was reading it, but when I was putting this nope. together, so I was, accurate. Yeah. So that was especially uh, the bit. <laughs> yes, Tasha is doing spoilers for a video so she doesn't ruin the audio. So we <laughs> will get to that. <laughs> spoilers, you'll just have to stick around. Um, so we will touch on this later, but this book uh, picks up quickly. Basically, we have like 20 pages where we learn about how resilient Delhi is as she is getting her way out of jail and some other mix up for lighting a fellow's clothes on fire because she is a fire witch. Doing when... some little bit of like grifting type. Yeah. Game, like oh, yeah. Yeah. Doing some games on the sidewalk, yeah. you know, some of that uh, panhandling type things. Yeah. So we quickly find her finding the, the poster looking for 
uh, women of magical or martial abilities. And then she gets to meet the employer and is introduced to this group of characters that will become her group moving forward as she is welcomed into them. So what were your thoughts on Delhi's companions when we meet them? And it's probably easiest just to go through them one by one. So we'll start with the biggest one, which is Winifer, Win, Sinalum. Sinalum? I know, okay. that's why I, in the back, I, I can't. Yeah, again, with the names. Uh, thankfully, she is easily called Win. Win is a half-troll, gentle woman who has a pad a proper upbringing, but also does some, likes to go adventuring and things like that. Uh, so she, what did you think of Win? I know what you think, because you're making hand signals about her, but why don't you go ahead? So I loved Win. She was probably one of my favorite characters. I very much appreciated her desire to always be eating because that I can relate to very, very directly. I also like that she's this half troll badass. I mean, she's essentially a lady, like Lord style lady. She has some standing in this world, which I thought was really cool. But she's also just very... I guess you could say the opposite of Delhi in terms of her familial situation. Like she's an only child as well, which cool. I mean, power to the only children like myself, but like compared to Delhi's upbringing where there wasn't a lot of love or opportunity or whatever, she has this really strong connection with her father and her mom and just the whole situation with her upbringing. And she still has her own, she's very, her own mind. She's a lady of her own mind and she's very strong. And you brought it up earlier and I think this is very accurate, but she brings to mind Brienne of Tarth, physically speaking. Although Russell and I couldn't decide if she was green or not. Yeah. I I felt like the imagery with Wynne was a little bit shaky yeah muddy is what I was gonna say and like with her especially it just took me off guard because there would be times where she was always this big statured muscular powerful Mm -hmm. woman but there was times where it made it sound like her and Delhi were you know she was like a head above Delhi and then there was other times where you know it was like oh she picked her up easily and sat her on her knee and it made her sound like she was 10 feet tall playing with dolls I feel you I I still think like more often than not the visual that I got was a a stature like Brienne of Tarth, like somebody who is just very built large and in charge. Also, Brienne is my favorite. So like, yeah, okay. I knew I knew you'd appreciate that. But yeah, I definitely that, that, as I was picturing the story, that's how I pictured her more just kind mm-hmm. of as like a bigger woman who would stand mm-hmm. out, but isn't like, you know, 10 feet tall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So well, I think too that that would be something, and I know that this was something we talked about before recording and probably something we're going to talk about again too, but from a world building or, or that standpoint where she wouldn't, she couldn't, I don't think she could conceivably be so massive that doorways would have to be larger or, you know what I mean? Like, right. I think that she would be in the normal realm of whatever that said, totally normal to have a half troll just walking around which is obviously not the usual for you and I so who knows maybe yeah. door, all doorways in this world are 10 feet tall yeah it was it was definitely interesting with when the the picturing of her aside her character just gave you that feeling of like 
I mean, she was smarter than this, but like, I think of like George and Lenny from Of Mice and Men, where it's just this like really big imposing character that you would expect this like rage and power from, but she was really soft-spoken and kind and she thought of others and was very proper and and cared about the the rules and didn't want to step over her bounds in any way. But then on the other side too, when you came after something, you know, that she was protecting or, you know, came after her, she was not afraid to use her strength and her skill to let you know you overstepped your bounds. I think that that's what I liked most about her was sort of her juxtaposition, like you were saying, where she's prim, prim and proper to a certain extent, but also like, we'll fuck you up. Yes. Um, and also her dad jokes all the time coming up with like hilarious. I, I liked her manner of speaking where she would like say a, like a sentence and then just put what at the end. Yeah. <laughs> that, took, that took a little bit to get used to. It so did. You would just say like, oh, what are you doing over there, Deli? What? <laughs> and that's, I always put it in a weird thing when I was saying it. Like, an inflection, yeah. It, it, seemed, it seemed like like one of those things, like a tick or something like that, that she couldn't help. But like, it wouldn't come out just in normal conversation. You'd just be like, yes. And then we went to the store the other day. Watch. <laughs> I don't know if that's what they meant to do or not, but that's just what it came out so, to. Yeah, that's funny. I, um, I think I appreciated it because it gave, and we talked about this before, but like it gave her such a another little inkling of her character without being without it being like a physical thing you know something that you would recognize about her character I liked that I like having even if it didn't say Wynn said this I would know Wynn said that yes exactly (laughs) and I just her dad jokes the humor like I and I I appreciated that it would point out that she chuckled and nobody else did yes (laughs) like Wynn is now lost in her own laughter (laughs) again when just speaks to me on a molecular level (laughs) (laughs) awesome awesome so uh we'll sure we'll talk more about when as we keep going but the next member of the crew is absentia doc uh or miss doc which is much easier to say yes Uh, so she is a student at the wizard college uh one of the i think she actually said at one point she was the top of her class or is the top of her class because she's still there she is a good friend of miss mayo wexen who is the one who is uh, being protected until marriage so she is kind of like the right hand woman to uh miss mayo so when we first meet her she is super kind of hoity-toity looking down her nose especially at delhi you can see does better with uh win and also miss tottenham who we'll get into in a second but i think that's just because she's older kind of like respecting your elder type situation so as we're getting to meet doc how did she rub you the when you first get to meet her well so it was interesting because i think the first meeting that delhi is part of doc is wearing her like old lady illusion am i correct about that because i thought that there was like there was something about that first meeting where Delhi was like, my eyes kept sliding over, which is a, like a tell, I guess, of illusory magic in these in this world. And I thought that like initially Delhi thought she was like an old lady because that's what her illusion is with like spectacles or something like that. Am I wrong? No, uh, Wynn was the one I think who pointed out because she she had power. She's an illusionist, yeah. And she was saying, I don't remember if it was Doc or if it was Mayel or one of the or the her sister Net there. I don't, but one of them definitely had something, some kind of shimmer on their face that Wynn thought they were hiding glasses or something like that. 
So okay. I'm not sure which woman it was, but I will say, okay. you know, later on that Doc really likes very different illusions and things like yeah. that. So it easily could have been her, but yeah, I was a little bit lost at, at that first meeting as well. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I interpreted it like Doc had gone to the meeting wearing this illusion. Um, and then only later when like everyone's been hired and they're ready to like set out on the, you know, to the to Mayo's house or whatever, that's when she comes in and she's like the younger woman. That was something that I struggled with too, was really recognizing just how young Absentia was. Like, is she Delhi's age? Is she older than Delhi? I know she's a student, but what is that? That doesn't really mean crap. Like, yeah, I kind I of struggled with that, which, which gave me a weird way to interpret her interactions with Delhi. Cause I feel like if I, Miss Totem, on the other hand, like, I know that she's an old lady. Like, I just found that difficult to, to reconcile how their interactions went. Yeah, I pictured Doc kind of similar age, maybe a year or two older. Okay. But definitely there was an air of the, she, the upper class. And she oh, was yeah, she's like a Regina George mean girls type situation, <laughs> I felt like. And I think she certainly gave off airs of being like snub nose, rich bitch, which of course like turns Delhi off and they of course butt heads a little bit because of that. But she has definite snobbery that also rubs me the wrong way, generally speaking. <laughs> but I did appreciate that she had pretty measurable skills to bring to the group. So. Yeah, I, I appreciated that doc while she was kind of snooty. She had the skill, like you're saying, to back it up. And was mm -hmm. obviously an important part of the group. She also had the knowledge. Like once the story moves forward, you can tell that she was obviously a necessary part. But right. she brought that other background. It was kind of the, it was like Wynn was kind of the go-between between Delhi and her, both physically, but also I just mean kind of like from Lassistly. A, yeah, yeah, from a <laughs> class level as well, where even though her and Wynn were from the same class, the way they interacted with the lower class was very, very different. different. Yeah. Well, and I think too that Doc presented a really good um, go between as well between the the group that's protecting Mayo and Mayo and her sister as well, like because they were friends. Yeah. So I think that that, like you said, sort of the right hand woman type role that she was fulfilling certainly came in handy once things progressed. Yeah, I think in our world she basically be the maid of honor. That's kind of what I yeah. got from it. Yeah. Uh, and then in this world, and we'll get into this later with traditions, they basically have this like two week or more stay where the woman who's getting married has to be kept alone and away from her, not only her husband, but all other males. She's all men. Around any men for that span. But Miss Mayel, they had received threats to her life, which is why they were asking for martial and magical women to come and protect her. And this journey they were going to take was to the manor of the house that she was marrying into. The in-laws home, basically. Yeah, basically. So that they could protect her there from whatever was coming up. So, And that's where the wedding is going to be and stuff too, right? Yes, correct. So the last part of our group is Mrs. Tottenham, who was an older woman and a necromancer, which was interesting. And I kind of have this later on too, but Wagner's idea of necromancy isn't really what you normally think. Body um, science. Exactly. Which I thought was a great term. That is what Mrs. Tottenham uh, wanted to be called, was a body scientist. Basically, like the necromancer is like the bad, the bad term to call it. It's yes. like a curse, not a curse word, but like derogatory. That's 
but it was interesting because if you wanted to be a body scientist, you it, it almost seemed like a healer with what she a doctor, doing. yeah, yeah. But then there was like also that other side, which was necromancy, <laughs> which, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. definitely happened too. So we we get her, and then we also get her daughter Ermintrude, uh, who just seems like a little girl in all this lace and frills that is coming along for the ride. Who is very very annoyed by her mother's tittering and tottering and all that. <laughs> That was, I thought, kind of a cute little moment where Deli sort of had an immediate affinity to Miss Totem because she was this like doting mother and Deli had never had that. And I liked the, not juxtaposition, but just like seeing Ermintrude's reaction to Deli kind of not fawning, but like being attentive to Miss Totem. Whereas like, I know, sorry, mom, I love you, but like, moms can be annoying and you you gotta just roll your eyes but then somebody who doesn't have a mom is obviously going to find those same things that you think are annoying not annoying at all and lovely and I thought that was a really cute little moment or moments that they had I think in one of their first interactions Deli catches Ermintrude like mid-eye roll yes (laughs) Ermintrude kind of like glares at her a little bit and Deli makes a note like okay I'm gonna have to like work hard to make friends with that yeah (laughs) Uh, so I, I found Miss Tottenham interesting. Her character definitely grows as we get to know her without giving more spoilers. They definitely seem to be a bit of her that she was much better than Delhi at putting on the face and putting on yeah. the, the charm and all that. And I think maybe her age had something to do with it too. Like I said, with Doc, kind of, it felt like Doc was giving her a little extra credit for being her elder. So I think that she used that as well, but she was very polite and prim and proper. And again, Ermintrude is here dressed to the gills and frills. So it was just interesting to see that while they were lower class, you wouldn't have known that based on how everyone reacted until we were told later on. Right. Right. And I think that there's the I would, I would consider Miss Totem and her daughters more middle class than like what Delhi's situation yes, that's is. Fair. I mean, unless you want to call the Totem sort of lower class and Delhi's gutter rat situation. I mean, she was like, she had a roof over her head, but had spent probably a good chunk of her childhood essentially homeless. Like, yeah. Yeah. She any refers case, to herself multiple times as a gutter witch. Yeah. yeah, which I think is probably just like a commonly used term to describe what she is, though I don't think she's giving herself enough credit, like we said before, because she had had at least some education. And I thought that was interesting when we found out as readers later that she had, you'd never know that, yeah. <laughs> given her her own interpretation of her scenario. Yeah. So I, I will say there was quite a few questions for me surrounding Miss Tottenham and Ermintrude, and I think some of those questions get answered as we move forward with the story. Uh, before we get to spoilers, this happens pretty early on. There is an attack on the carriage as they are trying to get uh, from the city to the manor house that they're going to. This giant metal spider lobster-like thingy uh, comes out of the woods and basically attacks the carriage trying to kill uh, Mayel. And we didn't touch on it too, but Mayel's sister is also with them. Her name is Annette, her younger sister. So and she was like, it, I think it bears mentioning that she was pretending to be Mayel. So like when the group first met Mayel, they were meeting Annette as, as her. It was like a body double kind of scenario, right? Yes, correct. And another tradition that they have is basically like instead of a veil, she's wearing like a bucket type thing <laughs> on top of her head with a veil. Like the hat did not sound very lovely. So yeah, she's like covering her face with more than just magic, but physical things as well and presenting herself as Miss Mayo when really she's the younger sister, Annette. 
which I will point out like another thing that made me like win even more was that she was sus. She was like, this is this whole situation is sus right from the get go because she thought she had met Nao in some kind of like societal ball type thing where you meet people of the same age in the same class structure and she was like I remember specifically that she had this deep voice and this woman does not have a deep voice and this is sus and I loved that like deductive reasoning that's my girl correct that's when so on their way to the manor house their carriage is attacked by this monstrosity of metal which we learn later on as a uh, being that was created that romancy and and it is only once basically Delhi recovers herself she's thrown off the donkey she's riding and has to like realize this is a woman who has always just looked out for herself and now she's thinking oh my god I have to like attack this thing to save others it, it was like her first step into the hero role that she's not used to playing <laughs> but they do eventually defeat it and it is this time that we pull a layer off of Miss Tottenham and Ermatrude as we learn that Ermatrude turns into a pig or a boar I guess is probably a better way of putting it and attacks the beast so I will say reading the back of the book I I went back and read it again I'm like where's the shape-shifting schoolgirl?" and it took me a long time to remember that Ermatrude turns into a a pig even though it happens a few times so oh my gosh um, really that was like I don't know I'm I'm not smart I guess (laughs) I really liked the whole shape-shifting aspect but the boar was kind of a surprising shape to take I was it was an interesting choice. Yeah. And then they even, uh, Miss Todd even talks about how like she, she understands you, but she like, doesn't really understand you. So like, they were like, you Oh yeah. Cause she's a boar. She's like, no, nah, she's going to be a boar for a while. Uh, so, so it's like in D and D when you take B shape and it's, you're, you're that thing and you, you can't speak English. You are basically that animal. So I did appreciate that. Cause it, it gave more credence to why Ermatrude was there. Uh, mm. Whereas before you're like, okay, this is interesting, but uh, whatever. What is she bringing to the table? Exactly. Oh, why, why are you bringing your child? Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't judge a book by its cover. Right. So, I did appreciate that battle. You kind of got to see all the different things the women could do uh, with Doc using magic, with Annette trying to use magic and fainting, with Ermatrude's shape shifting, Miss Tottenham staying back to clean up the mess, win with her pistols firing into a blaze of glory. And then Delhi finally coming to her wits and saving them with her fire magic and melting the thing down pretty much. So I, I appreciated that that was a nice moment early on where it's like, okay, so there, A, there is a danger. You're going to be earning those 50 gold or whatever it was. Right. And, and B, everyone is here for a reason, which is always Well, good. and I liked that there wasn't a lot of overlap, you know, like you've got different areas of expertise and they all can come in handy. That was and the woman doing the hiring even said that. Kind of the reason yeah. Delhi got in was she was like, we I don't have a fire, witch. a fire witch. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky you. So we've discussed the characters and talking about this book. We've mentioned it before, but reading the book, Wagner brought you into the world and did a good job of giving you more of each character by accenting, especially how they talked and what you were reading. What did you make of the writing in this book? I really enjoyed the writing, actually. That's something I'm sure we're talk, going to talk about in more detail, but I told you before that I appreciated sort of the weird eccentricities of the writing. Like it took me a little bit to get used to it, specifically like we said before, the way that Wynn's talking with adding the what and 
deli making up words, which I fully support. And I do the same thing, but it, it created a very interesting environment that kind of put you, it was easily easy to transport the reader directly there. I think we said before that like the world building, it's not really London, but it feels very London. It feels it's neo-Victorian. There's, did they say anything about airships? Um, no, there were trains. I don't think they trains. Had. Okay. And then I read another neo-Victorian book right after. So sorry if I mixed some of that. That's not very helpful. But in any case, I liked that the world building was not necessarily in equal parts, but it had a, a level of, of familiarity with it being kind of London-esque, kind of Victorian-esque. But then also that added sort of fantasy level of there are half trolls and there are witches everywhere. And there's all of this stuff that's totally normal for this world, society, what have you. And the way that it wasn't fully described to the reader as like, and this is because this, I liked that. I liked that it, it was immersive. That's the word I want, where you just kind of get in the zone with the weird nomenclature and the environment. And I, I, I kind of got myself lost in that to a detriment, I think, as we'll discuss later. But I, I did appreciate it. And I really actually like, I kind of want to read her other book. Like if this is a similar kind of writing style, if this is the way she does things, I'm intrigued. Yeah. And I will say it, it worked well. Cause like what you're saying, basically you take that Victorian world that we all knew that we grew up learning in history and we've seen in many things uh, mm -hmm. now growing up. And then you just add that layer of difference you add that witches and the, the way they do magic and the way they have enchantments and they way you know they have half trolls walking around like you were talking mm -hmm. about and so it just made it so you knew what they were talking about and then the flair and the the glitz and glamour was kind of just adding and bringing you in yeah and we talked about this with an absolutely remarkable thing where it must have been very difficult i assume for hank green to be getting into the mind of april may and maintaining that and i can't imagine what wagner went through not just maintaining that with Delhi and with her own thoughts. And you mentioned the words she made up. I found a couple. So productification uh, and daintuitedness, uh, where it's like literally, like I said, putting two words together out of vowel. Let's see what happens. But that was just kind of, she kept that going with Delhi. And then another thing with Wynn, like we talked about with the what, I wonder if that was part of the editing process because she didn't always do it. Where if they were like, you know, or if she or somebody else was like, hey, you know, we, we haven't given a what in a while. <laughs> I don't know what, but it was there and it, it wasn't something that overpowered you. It, it was something that showed you like, okay, I could definitely get that this maybe was her thing. This is just yeah. her way of speaking. So yeah. annoy you. It was more just like when it happened, I will say sometimes I reread it, like reread the whole sentence thinking of more as a question. Like, is she asking a question here? Does I just Am I just ending with a lot, you know, but um, I did, I did appreciate that because it was like you said, immersive where uh, you could see yourself walking along with these ladies. You could see the attacks, uh, you know, these, these uh, metal creatures that were coming after them didn't seem so unbelievable because the world she had built around them. So I really did appreciate that. And I just want to go back to like the word making up. I appreciate that. And I liked when other characters would kind of call her out for it and she would like use it again just to spite them, yep. which is great. And I think very much a character building or reinforcing 
aspect to her. You know, she's like, well, fuck you. Like, you're educated. I'm going to show you that I don't care. Yeah. And I like that. I mean, I am fully in support of making up words, especially like in her case where she is pretty intelligent. You know, yes, she doesn't have a fully formed formal training like absentia or win or whatever, and certainly not really any standing from a social perspective, but she's not dumb. She has skills. And I just appreciated that that little dig of like, oh, you don't like this word? Well, I'm going to use it again. Yeah. And I will say that's something I've been hearing more and more lately, just outside of in the real world about how we're losing the idea of street smarts. Right? And this is something I struggled with with a kid. I was an A plus student, not to brag. I was super school smart. I was the dumbest street smart person you could meet. Like a lot of things between me and Jay, like Jay was, Jay hated school, but he was the smartest street smart, like reading people kind of thing where I would just be spouting off stupidity thinking I was smart. And he'd be the one being like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like, look around you. (laughs) I think that that's a really interesting point, though, too, because if you look at the comparison between abstentia and Delhi in terms of abstentia's basically book education, schooling, where she's not experiencing things, but Delhi has all of this. Yeah, she might not know Newton's third law, bad example, but she does have all of this experience with real life people in real life environments that they're going to be in and I think that one it like really told a lot about the the characters that when they chose her to be the leader made sense because she's the one that has this experience and I think that like you're saying the street smarts thing kind of goes on we're losing it but it also goes unrecognized or on it's not lauded enough yeah it's underappreciated yeah yeah. And, and I think that that's something that's kind of hard to come by nowadays too, especially in the Pandisi. Like, how are you going to get street smarts if you don't interact with people ever, except for on social media? That's fair. Yes. And everyone knows everyone's genuine on social media. Oh, uh, yes. But that, that was a thing, I think, and we'll get into that with spoilers, where they know we're continuing the story. They're going into Delhi's world. So mm-hmm. it was a yin and yang situation. They couldn't have done it without a doc. They definitely, they would have. Right stumbled all over themselves and probably gotten killed if they tried to do it Doc's way. So they needed Delhi, but they needed Doc on the back end as well. So it was one of those situations, again, where it seemed like all the characters were necessary, just like in the battle. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to bring up about how it was written, I don't know if this is what it was, but the chapter titles, it gave me a feeling of Winnie the Pooh. Oh, and I was wondering yeah. if that was a tip of the hat to Winnie the Pooh. So that's a good question. Just to give you an example, chapter three, wherein Deliria cozies up to a prospect and is enormously alarmed and inconvenienced by the work she chose to engage in. So that's like, for those who don't remember, I, it, it was hitting me, it was hitting me, it was hitting me. And I was like, I know this is something. And then- That's so funny, I never put that together. So Ryan Reynolds came out with a spoof of his mid mobile thing where he like, the the rights to Winnie the Pooh just became public, whatever. Oh, public domain. Yeah. Public domain, yeah. So he made a spoof of it and it said like, which in Pooh does this with Piglet? And I was like, oh, no kidding. So then I looked it up and I was like, yeah, that's like how they did it. So I do, I don't know. Uh, I didn't find anything online about it, but that's just something that popped in my head, which I was wondering if you enjoyed it because it did give you a very, as you could tell, vague glance at what the chapter was about, but it did kind of let you know 
how the story was continuing. Yeah. So I did really like that. I thought there was a lot about, I think we talked about this before we started recording, a lot about how it was written that I enjoyed. And some of it was sort of the sort of wind being hilarious, but also just the, even Delhi and like the way that and things happened was entertaining in a, in a funny way, even if the situation wasn't really funny, if that makes sense. Like chapter 14's title is wherein everything ceases to be theoretical and becomes terrible instead. And like, I liked, I, that was funny to me. Maybe it wasn't meant to be funny, but I thought it was funny. And then having kind of a, a precursor to, or, or like a, not a spoiler, but like, Hey, this is what to expect. Things are yeah. going to get terrible. I also, when you said that about Winnie the Pooh, obviously never put that together, but it also reminds me of like Friends episodes. The one where, yeah, yeah, insert whatever. And I, I don't know. There's something about this, this, the way that it was written has a lot of very specific hallmarks to that. You know, it's a very stylistic thing, which I think we'll talk about later, but was one of the reasons why other things about the story didn't even occur to me until you and I started talking. Yeah, and I get that. So uh, <laughs> basically, before we get into spoilers, we're going to do our get to know your podcaster question. So this one was a little bit different. There wasn't anything that immediately jumped out uh, at me as I was going through trying to think of how we could relate this to our lives. But it was interesting because Delhi and Wynn, as they first meet and kind of get to know each other and start whispering back their theories about what's going on, you see a relationship start happening there. And in this world, it's called householding. When you basically, your engagement, you bring somebody and you're householding them to you. And throughout the story, there's some touching, like, you know, hand-holding or touching a knee. Not romantic touching. Yeah, not super sexual stuff that is like, we we shouldn't be doing this if anybody saw, you know. So they talk about how heavy the traditions are about how you should act before you were actually householded. Like we talked about before with the bucket, like hat that the fake male was wearing to cover herself and the thought that she can't be around or see or be waited on by a man for two weeks before marriage just gave me an idea of how interesting the traditions of this world were and made me wonder if there was any traditions that you had with just one person with your family that are either serious if you want to go there or silly or just things like that. Um, I will tell you, here's one that I'll start off with just to show you where my mind is at with this. So when you head out to the coast in New Hampshire, you're on Route 101, you're heading out to Hampton Beach. At exit seven, you can see a Walmart off of the highway. And whenever we pass it, uh, most of us in my group of friends that I call the idiots, who I love, we salute the Walmart. Now, there is a inside story that goes along with this that I'm not gonna share, but it's something that happened 20 years ago almost that ever since that we salute the Walmart every time we pass it both ways. So that is just a dumb little tradition that when I do it with other people in the car, you know, if they don't know, they're like, what was that? It's like, don't worry about it. Just a thing we do. Okay. Okay. That makes me think of one that Barry and I do when we're driving to New Hampshire specifically to Manchbase, when we have to go through the easy pass scenario on what, 95? 95, yeah. 
there's like, we have an easy pass. There's like a fast lane. Is that right? 93, same thing. 93. Oh yeah, you're right. So there's an easy pass, like fast lane where you can go like 65 or whatever. Um, and we always, and this, I think we also do this on our way to New Jersey, pretty much anytime we're going through like the fast lane where it takes a picture of your license plate and records your easy pass. Um, but we always wave to it or give it a symbol or something so that when they take a picture, we're doing something. I mean, I don't, that's the only thing I can think of. I'm trying to think if I have any like familial. That is super traditions. Um, I mean, this isn't really like tradition necessarily, but because Christmas just happened, I grew up with that tradition and it's not a my family specific thing this is like I think it's actually German huh. hey German listeners the pickle and the Christmas tree pickle ornament we yep. have died on that my entire life and I guess this is something I should really bring up with my parents like I don't think we ever did this but the first person to find the pickle gets an extra present but maybe when you're only a family of three that that's kind of silly yep. and maybe it's just not because my parents hate it and they'd be like well Tasha's gonna find the pickle She's right. a kid here. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe my tradition had to be a little different. Yeah, that's all I can think of. I never heard of that until later on when uh, we did New Year's Eve. We started doing family, yeah. and they did it, and then uh, I know Lee does it too. So we, yeah. we know hide a pickle as well, but it's just Amanda and I. So it's not was, hiding it. So much as like, the pickle <laughs> ornament goes on the tree. Yeah, we had three pickles on our tree this year because we have amassed so many pickle ornaments, which is totally fine because I am. I am into pickles. In fact, one of my Christmas presents this year very got me a pickle picker. So like, it's this little like syringy thing that you can like use to grab a pickle in a pickle jar. And it like, wow. Like, apparently wow. Jeff Bezos told him to buy it for me. And he did. Because well, you gotta listen to the Bezos. There you go. My Christmas one that I wrote down, it's another silly one, but Jay and I started this. I, I think he probably started it, but we've been doing it for years now, ever since. It's either Harry Potter one or two. I don't remember which one, but Harry walks down the stairs and Ron looks at him and goes, happy Christmas, Harry. And he goes, happy <laughs> Christmas, Ron. So uh, on Christmas morning, whoever wakes up first will text the other one, happy Christmas, Harry. Oh, good. I was and like, I hope you're happy Christmas, Ron. Okay, yeah. good. So uh, I got I got to get them first this year. So that's just another just silly thing that that I enjoy doing. So traditions are weird, man. And I think sometimes we like you think about it with like marriage and things like something borrowed, something blue, something old, something new and like all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure there's great ones that family upholds. But to me, it's those little silly stupid saluting a Walmart or you know, stupid texts that you share with your friends, things like that. Another tradition that I enjoy, I won't, I don't like wishing people happy birthday. I like wishing oh, yes. happy something random that I would just make up on the spot. Cause I think it takes more time to think of that than just wishing somebody a happy birthday. You wish them happy uh, feast of the annual moons of Crondor, you know, and then yes. they have no idea what that means. You have, I expect to get that one. I will not remember that. Note to no, self, listen to this again in eight months. Okay, so one other thing that I wanted to mention tradition-wise, and like, I'm sure that this is something that is commonplace from a wedding perspective, and you saying something about something blue is what reminded me of this. My mother-in-law, for all of the, I guess, relatives on her side that had gotten married, had cut up her mother's wedding dress and like made things out of it to give to other people so like she gave me some um and I think like 
anyway, everybody in this family has had something of Nani's who has since passed to, to include within their wedding. So part of her wedding dress, it was, I think like a little hanky napkin type thing. It's probably a better term for it than hanky. That was gross. <laughs> Handkerchief, a kerchief. No, but it was like this really beautifully embroidered like thing. Anyway, I used it. I wrapped it around my bouquet around like the handle of it because I was like, I don't know. I'm not going to incorporate that. How am I going to incorporate this? But I thought that was a kind of cool tradition because it's something that she's given to all of the females of the family. I mean, I guess by extension, I am now a female of the family, but that was something that was really sweet. And I know that my cousin-in-law, is that the term? Is that, is that the term? Okay. I'm delieing this. My cousin-in-law. She uh, hasn't married yet, but she was like, she was very close with Nani and like was so emotional when she got a piece of the wedding dress. And I just like, I love that kind of hand-me-down kind of scenario that is really, really awesome. My, I'm thinking of my aunt. She had also given me before my wedding, like a little packet of things from my grandmother who has also passed like a little bottle of her the wine she used to drink and a pack of the cigarettes she used to smoke which I don't smoke but that my grandma smoked a lot so it was very her and a little thing and like the package was like addressed to me from my grandma and it was just like a really thoughtful thing to do I mean I guess it sounds a little creepy because she was dead but like it's really cute and like she had given me this little I guess it was a tradition that they had had I first time hearing about it it was like a little penny on on a safety pin and it had it had something it was sort of a something borrowed along those lines but it was like a penny for luck and that went on my shoe during my wedding like so I had a piece from the one side of the family, the, the in-law side, and a piece from my side. And it was just really pleasant to, to have those with me. I guess that's tradition. Yeah, that's, that's, that's beautiful. Um, <laughs> so my dad, my, my biological father, uh, his nickname was Six Pack Mac, because no matter where he went, he was guaranteed to have a six pack of beer in his trunk. Because oh, you never knew- Or his son. You never knew when a party would happen. So you always had to be ready. Because of that, my brother's nickname was Six Pint and I was Six Ounce. Oh, stop. Well, yeah, that's what their friends called us. So I love that. (laughs) So because of that, on the anniversary of their passing, I drink a six pack of Miller High Life every year. So that is a little... Shout out to my dad in a little way that I That's so cute. Home without uh, being too crazy. And also a little buzz on. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, Miller High Life, a little buzz. Yeah. yeah, a little buzz. The champagne of beers. So indeed, indeed. That is precious. And I love it. Yes. So um, can I call you six ounce? You can try. Nobody. <laughs> I won't remember. <laughs> no, I, uh, I was a vanity plate for my Chevelle that burned down once so I do have that once once is all it takes (laughs) so I do have a plate a license plate that says that in the basement but yeah nobody calls me that nobody calls me that anyway now that you know far too much about us I'm sure getting back to the book basically after that attack happens the women make it to the manor with a little bit some more excitement but not uh, it doesn't nobody 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 dies yet so With that, we are going to go into spoilers. 
I have been told by a certain number one podcast listener that my spoilers game is a joke uh, to the point wow. where he sent me a recording of an old spoilers going into spoiler song and, and was like, wish we could get back to these days. I'll let you oh, figure out who that is. I know who it was, right? I think. So uh, this week when we're going into spoilers, it will be this. This is the part where we're going into spoilers. If you haven't read the book, look out. Because this is the part where we're going into spoilers. Get out or stay if you want. Okay, wait. Like, what? Where? What? I love I, it. But what? I thought of that when I was going to bed last night and did not know how to make it rhyme. So that's Oh, what no, no. I thought that you were trying to say that we'd had that in one of our other no, things. No, I was like, no. I've never heard that before. I'm in love. I keep it. No, it was, uh, I forget which one he sent me, but it was. And like, every time I see Sully, you dirty rat dog, every time I see him, he, he complains about the spoilers. So, okay, well, at least he's not complaining about the entire podcast. That's fair. That's fair. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for listening, Sully. Uh, yes. So our, our critical listener, Sully. Critical listener. So spoilers. The women are surprised to learn that it is Miss Mayle Wexen's sister, Annette, who has been trying to kill her. What? No one was surprised. Annette is captured and locked in one of the rooms of the house they are staying in, under guard by one of the women of the group until Mayel can get married. Before the wedding, Annette manages to take control of a suit of armor in the hall through necromancy, kill Ermintrude, who is standing guard, and escape into the night. The group of women decide to remain with Miss Mayel until she is married, giving time for two of Mrs. Tottenham's other daughters to join them. And then they head back to the city, determined to catch Annette again and bring her back to her sister who swears justice will be done and they'd receive a thousand gold for their troubles. I can tell you which one Delhi was uh, looking forward to. So they look into Annette's life and learn that not only is she taking the red drip, a deadly street drug, she is also up to her eyeballs in debt. They decide they need to infiltrate the red drip trade in order to find a net. So the group sets out to create a better, less deadly version of the drug in which to show to its current drug peddlers to get a foot in the door at their operation. As the days and weeks go by, they get closer and closer to meeting the drug dealers who have called themselves the kind companions. Delhi's mom has also come back into the fold and is working with the group as a tester to ensure their product is better than what is already out there. During this time, things with Deli and Wynne have also been escalating as the two talk more and more about marriage, which leaves Deli happy, but also guilty as she saw Wynne as a mark to make some money off of and doesn't know how to deal with her other feelings for her and the guilt. After meeting up with and beginning to work for the kind companions in their fancy house, whose ballroom has been turned into a laboratory, the group's plan comes to a head after their own lab is burned down and Deli's mom is almost killed. Knowing that time is running out for them, they decide to strike late at night, believing that Annette has been hidden somewhere in the house the companions have been using. They find Annette almost lifeless in the attic. She is connected to machines she has brought to life through necromancy, which are making the red drip 24-7 and keeping her sedated. They rescue her, but are caught by Miss Claret, the leader of the kind companions, as they are trying to leave. Shots are fired, and a fire breaks out in the lab. Wynne is knocked unconscious, and Deli must choose between saving her or Annette. Thankfully, Annette chooses for her and turns a gun on herself, allowing Deli to get out with Wynne. Wynne eventually recovers. Deli sells the story to the local newspaper with proof she stole on the way out of the kind companion's house, and the two agree to put their engagement back on. The story ends with them discussing the idea of chasing after more adventures together before they settle down. 
maybe a sequel. We'll see. So with all that, what do you make of Delhi and how she handled her feeling slash engagement to win? So for those of you who haven't read and are still around with us, basically their little connection flowers into this like relationship and it's like a back and forth where you know they hold hands and there's like oh my god we can't hold hands and at one point win gives her a silver or a golden chain which signifies that you know she wants to be it's like an engagement ring kind yeah. of thing kind of thing and at first delhi when she's given it it's like oh i don't know and then it's all awkward for like a page and then she's like no i mean yes no i mean yes and then at one point, Delhi gives her the necklace back. And then, you know, we go forward with their feelings. And Delhi is like basically arguing within herself and to the readers about how she isn't good enough for Win. And then eventually, after Win is saved, they decide to put it back on. So that kind of back and forth, what did you make of that in the in the story? Okay, so I don't want to like steal your thunder because this was your comment and I think you should go first. So the way I saw it, we were talking about it before, is this I very much viewed as a one-sided will they, won't they. The classical trope of any romantic comedy or sitcom show or book where that is what happens where you're you're on the edge of the seat. It's the Ross and Rachel going another, that's two friends comments in one Mulder show. And Scully. Mulder and Scully. So what happened in this book though, because we're only in Delhi's head, but even with the reactions we get from Wynn, the will they, won't they is completely one-sided where it is just Delhi dealing with her own personal feelings about herself. Insecurities. Insecurities, exactly. Where whether or not she's good enough for Wynn or whether she could fit in within, would she embarrass Wynn because she's not a proper gentlewoman and would embarrass her at these galas and balls and things or, you know, with her initial thoughts of her being a mark and just wanting some fancy gifts that she could pawn when Wynn left her, you know, does that make her a bad person when we see throughout the book, she has developed genuine feelings for her uh, to the point where she's even not going and knocking boots with any you know, regular person she runs and into, yeah, which is kind of what she does. So we see that growth with Delhi and the will they, won't they, from her point of view, drove me a little bit crazy. And I mentioned this before, the book that we specifically do not name on this podcast <laughs> will not give its name. It is not one that we've podcasted about. It was before ABC was a thing. It was when we were doing our book exchanges yes. before the podcast. So that had a will they, won't they, where you lived in both characters' heads. And it was so frustrating because it was just that over and over again. And I feel like this was not that bad. Yeah. But that was only because we got one side of it. Yeah. And, and when, to her credit, was yeah. always kind of talking Delhi down and saying like, okay, no, we just need to get through this crisis. And then we us or Delhi would explode or Delhi would, you know, get when she gave the necklace back. Wynn didn't make a big deal out of it. She's like, I know there's a lot going on. You're worried about your ma'am. So we're going to get through <laughs> this and uh, then we'll figure out, you know, where we're going. What? What? Um. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, I need you to start doing that in your real life. I agree completely that it was very frustrating. And I also agree that it was not quite as bad as the book that will not be named because it was one-sided. I also, I'm a little torn here because I understand it on the one hand in terms of Delhi's insecurities and her kind of assuming that she's not good enough for a win and maybe even a little bit questioning wins 
feelings for her because she feels like her Delhi herself, she's putting on these airs because she was initially trying to grab her as a mark and not necessarily as like a real feelings long-term situation. I mean, she says a few times how much she would love to be householded, which like, wouldn't we all want to have a sugar mama? I mean, I don't, (laughs) I don't fault her for that, but I also feel like she doesn't do herself enough or doesn't give herself enough credit. Like you said, you know, real feelings were developed. She has real feelings for when it wasn't as though it was this thing. She was pretending to like her. She really did like her and love her whatever. And I think that she maybe doesn't recognize that feeling in herself because it's not something that she's used to. I mean, she grew up without a lot of love in her life. So probably realizing what that is, is difficult for her and, and kind of letting yourself feel like you deserve a thing that so far has been unattainable is probably a pretty big ask, even though she's very capable person. And that was her goal in the beginning was to get this mark. Like, wouldn't you be happy if the plan was working to according to plan? But I think that she, the, the, I appreciate it, I guess I should say that the, the feelings were real, like that their chemistry was real, their relationship was real, and that it was two-sided and that both of them wanted to be together. I mean, yes, Delhi had her misgivings in terms of how things kind of started between them and, and what her underlying reasons were for at the beginning. But I think in the end, uh, credit to Win, I guess, that she could see beyond she could sort of see Delhi for what she really was as opposed to what Delhi thought she was does that make sense yeah and there's a couple things that really helped that point one what you were saying earlier when we were discussing kind of how Wynn was the bridge between Delhi and Doc where obviously if this was Doc Doc would have seen right through her initial attempts at her and all that but Win doesn't look down her nose at the lower classes so she got yes. to know Delhi for who she is for and I think the other thing you hit on uh, was insecurities. And that part of it, as, as you're saying this, another thought comes into my mind where I think part of it that Delhi struggled with was she was putting on a face and she kind of talked about that a lot where she, you know, was putting herself up to be prim and proper. And I think there was part of her that was insecure and believably so that that was what Wynn fell in love with. And that wasn't the real Delhi. And if she saw the real Delhi, she wouldn't love her. Now, And I get this from having dated a decade ago, like you're worried (laughs) that what the person sees and what you are are two different things. Right. And so I think that was just what Wagner was trying to get across that Deli was super struggling with. Like, she doesn't know the real me when really, I think when went above and beyond to get to know her more. And you did see kind of more of that Deli come out when we're dealing with her friend at the theater, Elo. Yeah. Who is a kid, a guy that she grew up with kind of the same age who helps them out with a place to stay after the, their lab is burned down. But, you know, as, as Del says, you know, they used to go for a gallop back in the day. I, but- I actually, that term, love it. I love all those little, like tiny little idiosyncrasies or whatever that were part of her writing style. 
chef's kiss. It, it makes it sound so much better than a fuck, right? We had a right? go. <laughs> right? <laughs> but with him, you saw her kind of like bring her tone back down to like the, the streets speak yeah. and stuff like that. She was no longer trying to be that prim and proper lady. So I think her also going back and forth between that was her saying, well, this is the real me. This is the me that Wynn doesn't know when realistically like Wynn's right beside her, you know, when she has her bad nights. <laughs> When she has her bad nights and she gets worried and she goes out and gets drunk, Wynn's the one that takes care of her. And now there is some trust issues from Wynn that we see at one point when Deli leaves to get a smoke uh, and then comes she back. Went for a game, though, but she because, because she was galloping a footman at the manor she house. Uh, but that but was they before. Were, they were on a break. I'm <laughs> <laughs> that was before things were super serial between them. It was just a prospect and not a real, yeah. Yeah. Not a real thing. So I can understand that there was enough of those things where Dell was concerned about that Wynn didn't really know her. And I think that was just her guilt and her love yeah. kind of mixing together, being like, I don't, yeah. I actually like you enough that I don't want to take advantage of you. And Wynn just having to constantly convince her, like, you're not, I know who you are. Like, well, I want you to be with me, what? And that, and that was something that I really liked about Wynn in general. Like she almost, and I think it has a lot to do with what you had said before about her kind of having the ability to not look down her nose snobbishly at people of Delhi's class. And I appreciated that Wynn could see Delhi for who she was before Delhi could see who she was. Or, or recognize that, you know, like feel good about herself. Whereas, and then that's like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Well, I think it's also, you know, we all do that too, where you're told you are a certain thing for so long or that, yeah. you know, you're raised a certain way, you get to believe in that. So I could see how it would take Deli some time to break out of that. And we, going back to her relationship with her mom, we saw that she mm -hmm. was a better person than she gave her credit, herself credit right. for because of how much she tried to do for her mom. How like, yeah, there's a part of her need that, to do that. Right. And there's part of her that wants that thousand gold or her cut of it, whatever, to not have to worry, you know, and pay off her rent for months or years. But really, what does she keep talking She's about? She's doing it to keep her mom under a good roof. Like her, that was her mom out of the city. Altruistic, very selfless thing to do. You know, like she she thinks of herself as this like kind of cutthroat, like we'll do anything to get the money, the end result. But really, she has pretty altruistic reasons for doing yeah. it and i did think it was funny as that's another conversation that happens in other tropes like this where they're handed the money for the red drip and yeah. uh, win and doc don't want it and delhi's like all right whatever i'll take like, it we earned it they're like that's good <laughs> money and she's like yeah we earned it but it's, it's money. money's money <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna take it so that was when i think that that's something that's like from a class structure standpoint makes a lot of sense like Abstentia and Wynn have never had to worry about that yeah. kind of thing. And that's something that Delhi's like, I don't even understand what you're saying. Why would you not want this? And uh, yeah, and another point on that, Wynn even marks after the lab is burned down, her and Delhi book a hotel room and she just yeah. puts it under her dad's name, right? My dad will pay for it. He actually, it'll, it'll uh, make him feel more comfortable knowing where I am, him paying for the hotel room and him paying for dinner. And, and Dell's just blown away by that. Like what? what do you mean that makes him happy? Like, yeah. you know, such a yeah. crazy different level of what money actually means to each of them. Totally. Another character that we meet that I think we touched on briefly, but haven't really spoken about. So another character that we met after Ermintrude was killed is the not quite dead mouse, 
with part of a man's spirit inside and limited forms of communication. And this mouse they determine uh, should be named Buttons. So my thought is we do get to see the complete character arc of Buttons from start to finish in this book. I wanna know what you thought of the character, if you had other expectations for him and basically what'd you think of the arc? Okay, so Buttons, great name. Have no qualms about the name, fantastic. Also, visually speaking, love the idea of like, I mean, okay, not necessarily love the idea of like a dead mouse with his head turned around, but once it becomes like just bones, super cute. I love that. I think mice are really cute. I used to have mice as pets. Great. Yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. But the whole story arc or whatever of buttons left me wanting. I feel like there were a few times, like we had talked about before, where I was like, Miss Totten is in on this. Like there's something to do, like she not created buttons, but like there was something nefarious feeling about, especially because of everybody else's sort of like gut reaction to buttons. Everyone was sort of like, and like bad feelings about him, which like poor little buttons, he's just trying to live his death life. I think survive, Yeah. yeah. I guess, I don't know, but he, so I guess what I'm getting at is I thought it was a missed opportunity. Maybe that's the best way to, to phrase it. Really cool concept. Like I liked the beginning of it and I was like kind of hoping that the buttons reveal or whatever would be bigger, better, just different. Yeah. I found his communication style really weird. The whole like boom, like at times I was like, okay, it's just a mouse saying bong. And then other times, like when they were in that coffee shop so frequently, <laughs> they were making it seem like his bong noise or all the other noises he was making was like super loud and distracting to everybody, which like, it's a tiny mouse. I get it. It's an undead mouse. So that's weird, but it felt a little, I couldn't quite grasp the goal here yeah and for those who haven't read it basically we meet buttons so annette takes control of that suit of armor kills ermitrude in the hallway uses the armor to open the door and runs for it basically and then when delhi finds ermitrude she melts the suit of armor and then the rest of the group comes and finds delhi and ermitrude's body and then all of a sudden there's just this mouse with its head spun around backwards in the room that Annette was locked in and everyone thinks the mouse is dead and that's how she got control of the suit of armor but no the mouse is undead kind of thing and Mrs. Tottenham recognizes it being a body scientist. The whole that Buttons was really a dude a past living an ex-living used to be alive guy Mr. Trell like makes almost zero sense to me. So the way they tied it together was that Mr. Trell was a very powerful necromancer who lived at that manor house, which I think was called Crossack Manor or something like that. And this is like Mayel's in-laws home, yes. correct? Yes, this is Mayel's in-laws home where everyone is stationed waiting for the wedding. 
So Mr. Right. Trell used to live there, okay. whatever, years ago. Oh, and he did, like, experiments and shit. And he was a very powerful necromancer, and he basically locked himself in his room full of mice for a month. His The rest of his family left, and when they came back, all that was left were the bones of Mr. Trell, and all the mice were gone. So they, like, I think what Wagner's trying to get across here is basically the mice ate his soul. So, you know, I'm sure there's probably a lots of different buttons, if you will, a lot of different mice that have a bit of his soul in it. And maybe this is just the one they found. Maybe. I mean, I, yes, but the end would lead me to believe now. Agreed. So what ends up happening with buttons is after when, when is incapacitated in the fire, Delhi drags her out, but she's basically out of the laboratory. Laboratory, yeah, crush that word. Basically, Buttons communicates that he needs to be put on win. And then he, Mr. Trell, through Buttons, basically like brings life back into win and gets her stable enough that she can then receive medical help and be saved. And that's kind of Buttons disintegrates after that happens, and Delhi sees Mr. Trell's ghost. And that's kind of the end of buttons. So there was something to him, but I mentioned this before. I thought there was something more nefarious to use your word with Mrs. Tottenham, (laughs) where perhaps since she is into necromancy, these machines that were attacking them were necromancied machines. And I thought it was too neat, too easily shown that it was a net and it was a net and there was nobody else. So I just assumed For me, for Buttons to pay off with his character arc, I thought that Miss Tottenham was in on it, Ermatrude died, but it was just that body, and she put Ermatrude's soul into Buttons, and she was somehow going to push that into somebody else at some point. And like that's why when they were talking about her seven different children, but how they didn't really look alike, I was thinking it was just a bunch of souls that she gathered and was like putting in, like, oh my gosh, Mrs. Tottenham. Wow. I turned her into like an evil. Evil, you evil, did. Evildoer. You did. I did not go there. I was like, she just got a lot of foster kids. What? <laughs> that probably makes way more sense. <laughs> but so I, I will say for Buttons, for his arc, I was kind of disappointed. And then, like you were saying with the bongs, and then like he would make river noises and bird calls for Mrs. Tottenham to comfort her. That was actually Presh Magash, though. Like, I'm fine with it. My point being, they obviously discovered a way to communicate with him. Yes. This is a super powerful necromancer who enabled to put himself into at least the body of one mouse for however long. Why wouldn't you be asking him questions, <laughs> you know? Well, and then there's that whole time repeatedly where sh- he was like with Dell, like during her gallivanting and would say something like slow death or long death or something like. Beware delirium wells. Yeah, and like, okay, fine, fine to be ominous messaging folks, but like, why don't you take that further? Why don't you say, hey, Sir Buttons, you are talking to me. Let's go, let's let's keep this going. Let's, 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 let me ask you a question. Will you just bong at me? Like, will you bird river noise at me? What is this? And they kind of, I think bong eventually was yes or something. Yes. I mean, they, yeah, they, they yeah. had other noises, but they kind of figured it out. And- it kind of, it reminded me a little bit that Beware Deliria Wells situation reminded me a little bit of like my D&D campaign that I used to run where like I would put something in the story and then forget about it. And then somebody would be like, hey, what about this? And I'd be like, oh. Oh, because that was like, 
you could, yeah, sure. She knew she was getting into trouble. She knew that she was getting deep into it with this group that was going to cause her harm and all this stuff. But like that didn't, it didn't give us anything for the ending either. Like for, for what it's worth, Delhi, yeah, sure. She was in danger, I guess, but it was when no that more was than the one who else. almost died. Yeah. So well, like, and like, what's the connection? Why is Mr. Trell or Buttons or whatever focusing on Delhi? Like, yes, she's the protagonist of the story, but like, she he clearly has a better connection or stronger connection to Mrs. Totten. Like, that's that's his person. Yes, they're a team, and I will admit Buttons is part of that team. But like, nobody else really liked him except yes. Mrs. Totten. Like, I don't really understand aside from being a way to to button things up <laughs> there, there it is that's why he's named buttons all right so he's like the duest machina of the book of the storyline like when probably wouldn't have survived if he hadn't been along and been a necromancer in the mouse yeah it was something it was weird but it felt it felt like that was a long way to go just to make sure wind didn't die but also was put into peril. I mean I'm glad Wynn didn't die. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That was so kind of on that note, we'll we'll continue to button this up with the rest of the book. So what did you make of the book's ending? Uh were you happy with how it resolved and how it laid out for us? Yes, but I liked how it resolved in that the good guys won and it was very stereotypical like yes win and Dell end up together I did like the little bit at the end with Wynn in like her hospital bed and her parents were there and Delly's meeting them sort of for the first time kind of like in this it's a bit of a new scenario and she's sort of like should I even be here and it was kind of cute from a rom-com it wasn't really comedy. it was also it was also adorable rom drum is that what you said Nice, Rob. Drop. I will also say, pointing back to what you said earlier, it was really cute to see Wynn's dad and hers interactions were exactly what Wynn made them out to be. Yes. Yes. I I just like Wynn's little whole little family situation and like the fact that her parents really seem to like fully love each other. Super precious. I their whole that. I mean, I'd read a book about Wynn. You know, like that's that's awesome. But and I and I liked that kind of them talking about their future and sort of re-agreeing to get married or, or to, to be together and, and their plans for, you know, maybe having a detective business of their own. Like, I think that's cute. And I like that, but something we talked about before the podcast, and it was something I think I didn't really recognize because I was so distracted with how, the writing was done, how the book was written and how the narrative played out in terms of the, not the content, but the, the way that it was presented. It, I didn't quite realize just how much of a letdown the actual story was. Like, I think you and I are a little, maybe not spoiled, but we're used to reading Harlan Coben's where there's twists and turns on like every third page exaggeration but you get my point that it this was very predictable also very much a case of there being a lot of like unnecessary stuff like we talked about with you know there's page after page after page of them eating in that cafe cool looking cafe I'd I'd read a book there for sure (laughs) 
but also I don't need to hear about how they were there every day. I don't need to hear about and at 12 p.m. I went and had lunch and at 1 p.m. I went and ran an errand. I don't need to know that. I need to like I needed a little bit more of the the feist way of condensing things into here's the pertinent information. Here's what happened. Oh, the exciting shit. We'll do some stuff around that. And then there's some other things. There was no, the pacing, that was the term used. And I think that's very adequately the word to use to describe how at the beginning, the pacing was really quick and, and interesting. And it kind of grabbed you or grabbed me anyway. And I think especially the writing style, which we've talked about. And then towards the middle of the book, I was like, okay, we're we're doing the Tuesday. Now we're doing the Wednesday. Now yeah. we're doing the Thursday. And now it's the weekend. Cool. Oh, there's a fire. Okay. And then things just got to be pretty predictable. Like I didn't, I expected there to be something with Miss Totten. Maybe not quite as nefarious. <laughs> as yeah. As, as you were thinking. But then I also thought there would be more to buttons. Like the fact that he was just an necromancer why did he give a flying fuck what happened with these people? There was no, no connection made for me. And he was just there because it was convenient. And and I don't know I was torn because I really enjoyed the way it was written, but the actual storyline definitely wasn't surprising if that, and at some points was boring. Yeah, I agree with you. So, and I don't know if I was, a victim to my, like, if my expectations were a victim of myself, or sorry, I don't know if this <laughs> book was a victim to my expectations. That's probably the okay. way I'm trying to say it. Okay. So as I was saying, I was looking at Mrs. Tottenham and, and thinking she was way more nefarious. I was mm. looking at Buttons thinking he's trying to get, if, if this is a necromancer, why wouldn't he, like, honestly, even when he brings Wynn back, I thought he went into Wynn's body. Why wouldn't this guy be trying to he just like gives up his life? dead life? Yeah. yeah, he gives up his immortal self to for a person. Well, maybe he's he sick of living weeks. in a skeletal mouse. I mean, and I feel like he could have just. Well, that's what I mean, though. He could have just went into Wynn's body, right? But to, maybe he's like died. actually a good dude. There was yeah. nothing to indicate in that story that I had completely forgotten about about the necromancer that he was like a bad guy. He was just. I feel like necromancers probably get a bad rap. True. In terms of, you know, Miss Totem in general was like, I am a body scientist. Like I'm necromancer is like a filthy word. You yeah. don't want to necessarily use that. Like I know all these other things and I feel like maybe he wasn't a bad guy. But I feel like Wagner almost did herself a disservice by giving us these little bits. Right. Because yeah. there was a, there was a few points where Miss Tottenham snapped, right. Or the facade mm. came down and like, she was just as green as Delhi and she was yeah. no longer that nice old woman and all this. I'm like, okay, well, what's, what's her motive there? Okay. I guess it's just because she's still hurting over her daughter's loss, which again, I understand, but I think that gave you more of a hint of like, okay, maybe there's something more going on. And you're right. Like with Coben or with Feist, like, honestly, I hope this is a standalone novel because if this becomes a series, you still had a chance up until when they open that door and it's a net to change this story. You, you have a chance to add something else in there uh, to make it not so obvious to where it could actually like, it could, it could build it up so much better. And I don't know. I just kept looking at it. And I, I told Amanda this, as I was reading it, she asked me how it was, how the book was. And I said, it's, it's okay. But I, if, if <laughs> something doesn't happen between now and the end, 
I'm going to be really gonna upset. And, yeah. and nothing happened. Like we knew, and that was the killer. I mean, they, they brought it up before they got to the manor house. They were already talking about sororicide or whatever, uh, when in Delhi were, yeah. so we knew Annette was the killer. We knew the leader of the kind, uh, companions was miss <laughs> Claret, whatever. They figured that out wicked early on before they even they started really working did. for her. Yeah. Um, we, we knew Annette was with them. Like, you know, it, there was no surprise that happened. Um, no, and I thought it was a little bit of a, well, it was kind of a lot of a bit of a letdown, like you were saying, for all of those reasons. But I think that, you know, you had Annette, and knowing that she was like baddie from the beginning was kind of a bummer because then you're just left with, okay, well, what are we just going to find her and bring her to justice? Like, that's not very satisfying. And then her whole like, these big creepy spider things and when she kills Ermintrude to get to the suit of armor like she has these badass necromantic skills and she's she's like I mean maybe it's because she's on drugs and she's a drug addict but she's not living her full evil lady potential that's exactly right and with her too I feel like her whole like why was she doing it? She was trying to kill her sister, who, who is her basically adopted sister, because Annette was householded she, to be yeah. Mayel's companion, basically. Yeah. And then Mayel's parents died. So Mayel is set to inherit once she marries. And then Annette's whole reason for doing this is she's worried that Mayel's not going to keep basically footing the bill and she's already in debt. So she needs to, like, they didn't even say, oh, well, I guess nobody was telling Annette to kill male. She was trying to kill male for the money, but still like that was, and I don't know, we didn't get enough of Annette to know how desperate she was. Obviously she's pretty desperate, but it just seemed like a weak reason to kill your older sister. Whom you actually cared about because then in the end, you're like, I'm just going to blow my brains out and tell her I'm sorry, which like, if you were truly an evil person, that certainly wouldn't have been the way you go. Yeah. And like, then that just makes the whole previous story arc, whatever, kind of not necessarily invalid, but like negates a little bit of your, your antagonist aspect of character. Like you're supposed to be the bad girl. And it seems like you're just a sad, so sad girl. (laughs) And I will say it kind of bummed me out too. And by the time I got to this point, I'll be honest, I was just breezing through it. Like the book Mm. kind of, I not given up on it, but I, I I was pretty bummed out. Doc, Doc runs for help. Why didn't she take a net with her? That was weird. That whole thing. I feel like I also maybe was skimming because I was like, Ooh, something's happening. Yeah. And I was like getting, I was reading a little bit faster and I was like, okay, so then there's this fire and it's spreading really quickly and it's just unconscious when Deli and Annette, who's all drugged up and like kind of not capable in the moment. And Doc is just like, has pieced. Like yeah. apparently before, I think if I'm remembering this right, before obviously the fire happens. So the fire happens because thank God all that training that we had to sit through of uh, Delhi trying to create a force field of fire to deflect bullets actually came in handy. So before that happens, I, I guess the face-off happens and Doc makes a run for it. I don't, or maybe she didn't even get into the lab. I'm not sure what happened to Doc. So then the standoff happens between Wynn and 
Wynn and Claret. And oh, Claret. And that's what happens. So Claret fires. Deli throws the fire shield up. It melts the bullet, but the the laboratory stuff. The lead hits the laboratory stuff (laughs) and causes a scientific reaction. I mean, laboratories. As a rule, not a good place for a fight. Not, a, not exactly. And that causes the explosion. The explosion blows uh, wind back, knocks her unconscious, screws her up. And uh, then Delhi is now standing there trying to figure out which one. It's. So I do get it, but I don't. Like, why? All Doc cared about was Annette. All Doc cared about was helping Mayel get Annette. Why, would you, why wouldn't you take Annette with you? It, it just didn't make any sense to me. No, I agree. I felt like that last little bit was sort of rushed for lack of a better term. I mean, I felt as though, like I said before, it was very duas machina. Like, let's just, let's just button this shit up with the buttons. Like we have all the things that we need to just make it right again when it wasn't really clear, not necessarily why it was wrong, but like kind of glossed over the whole climax. Yeah, I agree. And I think you're right. I think we were kind of lulled into a, a reading stupor, if you want to put it that way. So by the time that came, it was almost too late. And I will say, at least for me, like, that's how I felt. By the time that came, I was like, okay, now I knew it was coming next. They're going to do the recovery of win. Okay, let's get through that. Like, it, it just, yeah. it, it seemed for something that was really well thought out an interesting way of different ways to look at stuff that we deal with and, and all that, the ending was so predictable. It was a disappointment. Yeah. No, that's a good point too. And like you're saying, you know, different ways to look at, I mean, there's a lot of running concurrent theme wise with today, like drug addiction and class structure and societal woes that I think are really valid in the everyday that she did a really great job. And like you said, sort of lulled into this immersive, for lack of a better term, language and the way that everybody everything was presented kind of made me not even recognize how predictable the story was. I wasn't surprised by anything. I think I was expecting some surprises. And when they didn't happen, I was sort of like, Oh, exactly. Exactly. That happened or, Oh, that didn't happen. I mean, I don't know. I think I'm being a little bit, um, maybe a little bit ridiculous compared to what other people feel or, or whatever about this book specifically but like I'm looking at this as when I when I told Amanda I finished it I said I feel like there was a hundred pages in there I didn't have to read <laughs> because because nothing happened and I'm, yeah. I'm not saying that to be rude to the author I'm just saying like you didn't change the outcome so what was the right. point point? and I understand we do have to get from a to b but we don't have we if we're going a to z we can hit skip c d e and f it just, it just felt unnecessary. And it felt like you had such a good start and such a good idea Idea that then you just kind of went, Oh, and Oh, and like, we got obsessed with freaking rat, the, the pawn lady and her hats and that whole shit. And like, we didn't really that. Yeah. She was the go between and how they met the drug people, but like there was, a, she warned Delhi too. Oh, you're getting in deep. You got to look behind your back and all this. It's like, come on. How many people have to say it? I felt like there were a lot of things sort of like, like lead ups or precursors or tips of the hat to some twist happening. And then that twist never happened. And so it kind of left you feeling un... Unfulfilled? Yeah, that's it. 
that's it. I think that there's, there's just an aspect of, of meh to I, it. And I, again, I don't, I actually really like the, I love the way she wrote. I really, I looked at her Instagram and she seems like a really cool person. Nice. <laughs> um, but like, and I appreciate the, like conceptually, very cool. I love the, the world building. I guess that feels weird to say that, but I think that is accurate. Yeah. For a lot of reasons, which I do want to go into, but like, I don't want to make it seem like I didn't, I don't appreciate. Yeah, I do. I do appreciate it. But I also feel like the attempt at a mystery type whodunit thing failed. All the other stuff, great. Yeah. Not so much with the the mystery bit. Yeah, I, I agree with you that it just, I think as a reader or as a somebody who yeah as a watcher as somebody who's just taking in entertainment you know you don't want to you don't want to think of a better ending or you don't want to think of a twist or of something that happens you don't want to think that you could have written it better and i'm not saying i could i can't write the style (laughs) she wrote but what i'm saying is with some of the twists and turns and some of the plot lines i feel like they could have been developed a different way that would have made this a much better story well, and I don't even, I mean, I don't disagree, but I also don't think necessarily that they needed to be developed. Uh, I guess what I'm getting at is there were opportunities, I feel like, that existed. You know, you had plenty of inklings, like, all of the time that you were thinking that Mrs. Totem is, like, really this evil person. Like, there's basically missed opportunities for there to be twists. And granted, again, like we've said before, we're not authors this is not the thing we do. But like, I feel as though somebody with the skill that can, that can maintain this level of narrative in terms of the, the verbiage and sort of like, how do we even want to, what do we want to call this? It's not necessarily world building, but it, that immersion. Immersion. To maintain that for an entire book and do it well, I feel like, missed opportunity is the best way to say it like she had she had sort of setups buttons could have been a terrible dude miss totten could have been terrible her daughters could have been terrible not even that everybody needs to be bad but like there were opportunities where i feel like as a reader you almost suspected that there was going to be a surprise and then there wasn't and the, the surprises that did exist weren't really that surprising yeah, I think you're saying it better. We're saying the same thing. You're just saying it more articulately. Where uh, again, we're not trying to blame the author. The author did no. the thing, but it is it just. I guess you're right. It's a disappointment of missed opportunities. It just seemed like there was even that she put out there more chances for us to jump on something or for it to twist and turn a different way. Even again, last minute, and you can blame Harlan for that, where you don't even know up to the last page he's going to throw a twist at you. But I, I think you're right. Where it was just. Again, expectations kind of affected this book a little bit, I think, as you're reading and you're expecting these things to happen and they don't. So, Because uh, I think she, she created this like really cool environment with all these really cool possibilities. And then not a lot of the possibilities that even as you're reading, you think are going to happen, happen. You're kind of like, well, what? Exactly. So with that, 
I'm not sure what you want to get into with the immersion world building, but if you want to jump into that, I don't really have any other questions left for spoilers. Um, I think it was pretty much just getting into our feelings towards the end. And I really wanted to get into buttons once we had met him. So totally. Um, and I don't think I necessarily have anything else for spoilers, really. I guess my the world building aspect that I wanted to bring up was really about do we want to get out of spoilers first? Is that the... No, it's up to you. I don't know if you have spoilers you want to talk about or if you just want to talk more about the book. I mean... Are you talking I, about the book in whole or... I think I'm talking about the book in whole. Like, oh. I, it's more about the, the world, the environment that she created because I think that was the most impactful for me. Okay. And I don't necessarily think of spoilers. I think we can piece out of spoilers. All right. We, with that, we will move out of spoilers. Before we do, I will say there was one other situation where Deli is attacked in the middle of the night by oh, a man right. I forgot. that they named Mittens, uh, whose real name is Kale. And between kind of, that was a cute chemistry moment between that- and Deli, where kind of they knew what each other was thinking without you know and they were kind of hoping each other was on the same page and thankfully they were uh where they yeah. were able to apprehend this guy and disarm him and, and basically then they show their level of who they are where instead of turning him over to the police or killing him or anything like that they basically find a bar and drink with him for like six or seven hours until the trains are running and put him on a train and send him off to a new life so i did I did appreciate that. And I appreciated that it kind of showed that connection that Wayne and Delhi were, were building in a different way. And it added some action to it as well as you think maybe things are going to turn and they didn't. <laughs> no, they didn't. But I did like that. And I agree that it was a really nice like chemistry moment for them. And I appreciated that they like agreed to call in mittens. And I thought that it was just, it was really cute. And I think that the general character, I mean, world building and character arcs I guess or character development I thought was really nice and that that moment was kind of a good snapshot for the both of them and their relationship I agree so with that we are going to move out of spoilers so we are coming back from spoilers coming back from spoilers you can stop moving ahead because now you're back with us we're out of spoilers that was great crushed it So coming out of spoilers, we now have one last thing to do with this book. We have to give it a final discussion and give it our grades. If this is your first time listening, we do this based on a D20. Zero is bad. 20 is great. 20 is perfect. And then we add a ability or skill check based on D&D characters that will give the book its overall ranking. I'm not sure who went first last time, but do you want to go first or second? Sure. Um, before we do the ranking, though, I just wanted to say one more thing about the book in general and just the world building aspect of things in terms of inclusivity, I guess I'd say. I really appreciated how nonplussed literally every character was with the fact that almost everybody is bisexual or seems to be and that that like it's not at all uncommon for ladies to be getting married or householded or whatever it is they call like and that foster children type situations are totally no I don't know the just the lackadaisical air (laughs) that everybody had with sexuality and I guess I'd say family but that's not really accurate 
there is certainly the class structures like we talked about before with the high class sort of lords and ladies being a little snub nose. I mean, some more than others, of course, when being a good example of somebody who probably doesn't give a fuck, but then also just the, it's totally normal for somebody to be in love with a woman, a woman to be in love with a woman, a man. I mean, I guess, I don't know that we actually saw any. Yeah, there, there was a, there was a moment uh, where okay. it mentioned that there were two men together. Yeah. Okay. But like, I just love that that, and I think that, that was something else that was kind of immersive about the book in general, aside from her writing style was that it just, it didn't give you, didn't need any explanation. Like this is just how it is. There's, yeah. there's half trolls, there's necromancers, there's wizards, there's gay people everywhere. And it, nobody gives a fuck. Yeah. And well, in our world, uh, you probably won't see a half orc walking down the street. You True. would totally be okay with somebody else's sexuality, even if it's different than yours. So. Right. And I just, I very much appreciated how, the normalcy of everything, even when like, and like we kind of touched on before, sort of the, the correlation to real life drug addicts and like this world, though it may be more progressive than ours, has some of the same problems in terms of people suffering. Yeah. And I think that that just made it all the more realistic for me. And I, I don't know, I just appreciated the way that it was written so much that I really, I really found myself getting lost in it. Not necessarily the story, but the world. Does that yeah, make sense? It does. I can absolutely see that happening. And I, I liked it, I think more for that reason than for the storyline itself though. And, and the characters were really great. And again, I know we talked about this, like the way that she was able to kind of give voices to specific characters made it so much more powerful than if that wasn't there. I don't know. It was like a very, seemed like a very simple thing, but also very impactful thing. So I am going to go first because you're basically making my point for me. Okay, cool. So for this book, I'm giving the book a six. Mm. I know, which is the lowest I've given uh, since Gork. I was going to say that's not true. But uh, kind of what we're talking about, like I said, halfway through, I think it was before halfway through, I said, if this, if something doesn't happen, this book is really going to disappoint me. And it did. The story played out exactly how you were told it was going to on page 125. And you had to get to 350 to figure it or to get to the end. And yes, there were a little bit of twists and turns here and there, but nothing major, nothing that stood out and made you go, oh my God, I didn't see that coming. So that really bummed me out. So from a book standpoint, I'm giving it a six. Now, my skill, I'm using charisma. This is where it's a little bit unheard of. I'm giving it a plus three for charisma because of everything you were just talking about. The way this book was written, the way it brought you in, the characters, the way she was able to write the different ways of speaking for the characters where, again, like you said, you didn't need to see Wynn said, you knew Wynn said what? And you knew (laughs) Deli was speaking that way and you knew Doc was looking down her nose. The character building was super good and awesome to read the world building was there it's immersion that's the word of the podcast it was there so well I, I and it hurts me to say because I really think this is great writing I just think the story wasn't there so I'll probably give Unnatural Magic her first book a chance at some point uh it doesn't turn me off from reading her other stuff but I'm going into it a little bit more cautious than I did with this one for sure but 
that's where I wanted to give it a plus three in charisma because the writing, I think, really needs to be touted. This is impressive. Obviously, nothing I could do. And I wouldn't want to tell people not to read it. I think just the writing alone makes it interesting to get into, but the story lacked. And that's kind of what I was looking for from the book. So for me, it's a six plus three for a nine. Nice. That's all very valid. I feel like I didn't even truly recognize how led down I was by the story because I was so immersed in the world building and the characters and the way that it was written. So I'm going to give it a nine on my straight roll because I did, I did enjoy reading it. Like you said, you kind of put it down more frequently than you would other books. And like, I don't know if that was the case for me, but I, I think I just so appreciated how it was written that I was like blinded to the fact that the story was, was pretty predictable. And I did kind of know what was going to happen but I also like some shitty TV. So like <laughs> pretty on, on point for me to, to let things slide when I am enjoying parts of it. So that's my straight roll is nine. And then I'm going to give it a one for history. I don't know if that's really like an accurate representation, but again, coming back to kind of the world building and the way that she created this space that was so easy to get lost in and feel like it was something at one point recognizable and totally fantastical that was this nice melding and felt realistic, felt true. And I liked that a lot. And I definitely would give her other book a try. Um, I agree. I will be looking at it, I think maybe with a more critical eye than I initially would have. But I I truly think that this takes skill to 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 write something like that, where it's, I don't want to call it, it almost feels like a period piece, because it kind of is that whole neo-Victorian that we're talking about, but it also has this level of fantasy and this level of character world building, whatever, both of those two things, that is just massively impressive. Yeah, it was blended in so well, like you keep saying that it just made you easily get into the world and that is an incredible thing because like we've talked about before with other books that we've read I can't think of what it was now but like uh where people couldn't even describe like New Jersey to us or whatever right you know so you're describing something we've never experienced but you're putting other things in there as well that also we've only heard about in fantasy tales but it seems so easy to recognize and that's why again with me where the story kind of fell flat, the writing was still good enough to make me interested in more. Yeah. With that, we are moving away from the book and jumping into the segments part of our show. Up first, we have current selection. What have we been getting into lately? I know Tasha's very excited to talk about this. So I have been reading some Naomi Novik, which is the author of our next podcast book, which I'm but I have been listening to a couple of hers. I finished The Osiris Ritual by George Mann, which is also a neo-Victorian kind of situation, which is why I was like, oh, there airships in this book or not? It was a poor choice on my part to read something that was like kind of in the same vein. 
it is the second book of, I guess I'd call it a series. I would equate it to sort of like the Myron Volatar, Harlan Coben books, where it's like, you don't need to read them in sequential order, but they have similar characters and so on and so forth. It was like Victorian age Mulder and Scully, which has my vote. That has a lot um, of check marks for you. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It was fun. And like, I, I don't know, there were some... I'm very curious to hear your thoughts if you read the first one of these series, because there were some parts sort of like the book we were just reviewing where I'm like, I don't know. And some of it's predictable and some of it's unnecessary and whatever else, but like overall fun read. Okay. Um, I am currently reading a Harlan Coben called Caught. I'm, I don't know, maybe like, a quarter of the way through it's interesting obviously yeah lots of twists and turns i just like harlan coven's such a good palate cleanser it's true in between stuff especially because i just stupidly read two neo-victorians like back to back so i'm kind of like in that mode and reading something i mean this is like very much in our time frame when was it written 2010 so like go. yeah and then, yeah, that's what I'm currently doing. Sounds good. That is actually a uh, Coben that I hadn't heard of. So I can't wait to borrow that from you. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So for me, I talked about this for five seconds last time because I was about five <laughs> pages in. But I read uh, The Innocent Mage by Karen Miller. Uh, it is the Kingmaker, Kingbreaker, book one of two. This was super, super interesting it's a take on magic in a different way where there's basically there was this magic people that had to run from their original homeland and six centuries ago they built a magic wall to keep out this like crazy master dark magician from getting into the rest of the country that was uh held by magicless people that they call olken who are basically like fishermen and farmers and all this and never had magic in their life so they create this magic wall and it's up to the king to create weather and they call it weather working where he has to make it rain and snow and freeze and all that stuff and basically that weather magic feeds the magic of the wall to keep the darkness out so it's like this interesting little uh not little it's an interesting story about that but then there's also the dynamic of the olken who if they are caught practicing magic will be killed and then yeah. the, the, the magic users are called Dornan and it's how they live together. And it's about the Royal family. And you follow one Olken man who is prophesized to be this great potential mage, but I'm not sure yet. I haven't got to but that. But they're part not yet. allowed to use magic. Exactly. Well, so the Olken do have like an earth magic that only some of them remember, but it's very subtle. Whereas like the, the real mages, they like, like their fingers and lights and doors open and shit. So <laughs> It's just interesting to see. So I finished this, yes, uh, Wednesday night. And then I was like, oh, maybe I'll wait and start spinning silver. Oh, that's a spoiler. Uh, or I should just start yeah. reading the second book of this. And so I started reading the second book yesterday morning. I'm already 200 and something pages into it. So I'm excited to borrow those. Super pumped to get great. through this. I'm excited to give those to you. So who's that course, by? Uh, her name's Karen Miller. So this was the book that I found randomly in... Uh, that bookstore in North Carolina that I went North to Carolina, right. where uh, I just happened upon it. And like the, the spine, the other one is a red mage and they go together. So it looks like uh, one person wearing two different cloaks. So that caught my eye. 
And then I read the back and I was like, all right, let's see how this goes. So super awesome find. I already have a couple more books from her coming that I couldn't find around here that I ordered online. So excited. Maybe there's another new author there. So that's all I got to though. Unfortunately, like I said, it took with the holidays, it took me a little bit longer to read the uh, Ruthless Lady's Guide to Wizardry there. So with I was going to say, I think I finished that before you. And I was like, pat myself on the back. <laughs> so it's good to check the good reviews. Usually you finish the podcast before me. So that's fair. That's I was taking fair. it where I can get it. <laughs> um, so with that, we're going to jump into random recommendation, which Taja has for you this time. All right, kids. My random recommendation is that Naomi Novik book that I finished. It's called His Majesty's Dragon. And I'm showing you it on my phone because I listened to it on Audible. It was a recommendation from my dad, um, who so far has not really led me astray with Audible recommendations, but he was like pretty adamant that I should listen to this. And I downloaded it a while ago and then was like, finally, I'm going to get into it. And I'm so glad I did. I'm already like 90% of the way done. The second book, it is a series of nine books. I got through, I wasn't even finished with the first one. And I ordered all of them in hard copy on um, thrift books, like used copies so that I can lend them out to people willy nilly because I can't lend out my Audible and they're that good. I was telling Russell earlier that I'm a little torn as to I'm like, I got the other, some of the other books in the mail today. And I'm like excited to, to move on to the third book and the fourth one, which are the ones that came, but I'm, do I want to listen or do I want to read them? Because now I'm kind of in this mode of the listening has this theatrical aspect that reading my own self doesn't have. And I can read while I'm in the car. Yeah, which is convenient. Like I listened to a huge chunk of this book today, running errands, and it was lovely. Anyway, the book to to go into that is Napoleonic War Times with Dragons. So Horatio Hornblower, Master and Commander, that kind of ship world fighting British badassery, naval badassery with dragons. Very, very awesome storyline. Very cool dragon. Just the whole concept of, I guess I'd say alternate history, where like this is a thing that is a recognizable moment in time that we as humans have had. And then you're putting dragons in it like NBD. This has always been the case. Chef's kiss. She's great. I love the main characters, the dragon, Temeraire who obviously is the main dragon. Awesome. Just everything about it is great. And I want everyone to read it. Go read it. (laughs) Very excited to get those copies from you so I can read it. (laughs) And that's also exciting. We touched on this before with all this reading we've been doing, even though our TV reds are are 30 books big and all this, you always, I'm always worried I'm going to run out of books. So to find a series of nine. I know. I'm excited to get into it. I know you and I have talked about this before in our like what's on deck kind of scenario that I have on my to be read shelf plenty of other series usually just like trilogies and I'm like I don't know if I want to do that and here I am like give me the nine give it to me now <laughs> yeah so yeah. yeah I mean I guess that's a a good nod to how how much I am enjoying these books that I'm like ready to bite off a nine book series. And that's also good news for the author, because as I spoiled uh, a little bit <laughs> a short while ago, 
The book for our next podcast is Spinning Silver, which is also by Naomi Novik. Uh, there's the cover of the book. Taja is still waiting for hers to come. Hopefully it comes Hopefully in time. Hopefully it's not locked in the mail. I'm very, yeah. I'm very worried. Knock on wood for that. So the little, the reason this popped up in my sphere and uh, brought it to Taja's attention and she had heard about this other series from her dad. So she was familiar with the author on Twitter. Patrick Rothfuss said this and I quoted it. This is your little blurb to get you to read the book. He said, if I live a thousand years, I'll never write a book as good as Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. Whoa. If that's not enough to get you to read the book, I don't know what to tell you. That is basically the guy that is looked to as fantasies like you are fantasies king right now. And he's saying that about this book. You've got to check it out. So yeah, that's no joke. I also like, not that I know as much as Patrick Rothfuss does, but like her other, so far, I mean, I'm only two books in, but like quality fantasy shit right here. So I am very excited for Spinning Silver. So we are pumped. That will be on our next episode. You will hear about it in two weeks. We cannot bring it, wait to bring it to you. So Unless my book doesn't come, in which case it might have to be three weeks. Audible, Audible. We'll call it Audible. I'm not saying you have to listen to it on Audible. Sorry, I forget that that's what it's called. I was like, wait a minute. I already bought it though, Russell. (laughs) No, we'll call it Audible. We'll see what happens. So, uh, you know, in case it doesn't happen, make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram, Adult Book Club 21. So with that, this has been the ABC Pod, the Adult Book Club with Taja and Russell. Keep reading.